Hi everyone and welcome to Marketplace Jungle where we like to explore the world of marketplaces beyond Amazon. Today's guest is Ben Hellier. Ben is general manager at NetRev, which is an umbrella group comprising of multiple daily deal sites as well as a digital agency. Ben's team works with brands to help them gain exposure through highly targeted marketing campaigns to their database of over 30 million shoppers in the UK and Ireland. In this episode, expect to learn why daily deal sites are a great option for expanding your brand and are about more than just clearing old stock, how you can use daily deal sites as a tool to help you expand internationally, what developments in the daily deal site industry can tell us about the marketplace space, what discount sites have in common with cold feet, and much more. Ben, thank you for joining. No, my pleasure. Thank you for having me, Jesse. Been really enjoying the episodes recently, so thank you for having me on. Yeah, so let me kind of jump straight in. NetRev, we own and operate a group of marketplaces, databases, and push marketing tools that reach 34 million users in the UK, US, Canada, and the rest of the world. In essence, we started that business, Mighty Deals and Go Groupie, around about 12 years ago now, when there was a massive boom in the world of daily deals. There's about 300 companies that started in the UK, there's now around about five left. So there's been a real consolidation over the time. Uh, and what we realized during that time is that one technology could run multiple sites. So that's what we've really been focusing on. So our marketplaces are GoGroupy UK, GoGroupy Island, Discount Experts, Mighty Deals. And then we've also got a performance marketing business called NetRev. And inside of NetRev, we have 34 million users where we drive traffic directly to our partners and to our marketplaces. So tell me about daily deals, because this is marketplace jungle, not daily deals jungle. And I'd like to know how you define that. Where does it come from? What does it mean for a retailer that's looking at this? Is, is it just a place where they can sell discounted products? Is it a place to sell out of line products? What is Who's your customer and who is your partner? So our partner is absolutely anyone looking to reach a user that is money conscious, someone that is maybe not willing to pay full price on absolutely everything, or maybe they are, but they're looking for inspiration. Our whole tagline here is to surprise and delight our customers. If a user knows what they're going to buy these days, guess what? They do one of two things. They go to Google or they go to Amazon. Daily deals and what we do is all about push marketing. It's about taking a great offer, a great price, finding that right user in our databases and shouting about it in their face to say, Here's something we think you're going to love. Here's something we think you're going to want to buy. And guess what? It works. I know it works. Daily deals. You know what? Is- I, I was just thinking it, it works really well because right now while we're sitting here talking, and I'm sorry that anyone listening isn't going to be able to see this, but <laughs> I'm wearing a pair of Ugg boots that I bought in 2011 when living in Australia from catch.com or catch of the day even as it was known then, which is now catch.com.au. But I wasn't in the market for a pair of Ugg boots. I was a 22 year old dude living on the other side of the world that just had cold feet. And then I got an email saying, Hey, look at this glorious hug that you can wrap your feet in. And I was like, yeah, I want that. I want this cuddle for my feet. And I'm still wearing them almost 10 years later. So we're over 10 years later. So uh, yeah, I'm your target audience. And there's definitely a market for surprising people with good discounts. I think the thing is with data over time, everyone's become our target audience. 
right? When you're, when you're selling things to people, you know, who they are, you know, where they are, you know, what they're buying and when they're buying it. So over time you can start using that data to go, Hey, here's Jesse over here. And maybe he's bought Ugg boots before. Do you know what? He might be really interested in some fluffy socks as well to go with their most Ugg boots. And they're an amazing price right now at three ninety nine as well. So guess what? Jesse sees that email. He's hooked and he buys them fluffy socks. He probably would. It's really cold in Germany compared to Australia. But that's what we do. And uh, daily deals, I suppose, didn't used to be marketplaces. Let's let's be very straight about that. Daily deals started off as a industry that was all about one product, one day, selling through as much as you could. And that has evolved over time to deals were around for seven days, deals were around for a month to then discount marketplaces, which is very much what we would consider ourselves now rather than daily deals, is that we've got 19,000 deals on our platform, something like that. It's curated. It's not as many as someone like an Amazon or an eBay. Um, It is still much smaller in terms of selection, but that's because we don't anticipate users coming to search. We're waiting to push them users push the deals to the right users. So if we had, you know, 20 million lines that Amazon may have, it's not a possible task. And we don't want to compete with Amazon because I think that's a bit of a fool's game. Yeah, no one, you can't out Amazon, Amazon. But Absolutely. And that's not my line. Someone recently said that to me on this podcast and I can't remember who it was, but I'm using it now. It's interesting though, because there's many marketplaces which started out as daily deals sites. Here in Germany, we've got Limango, there's Groupon, there's Catch, as we already mentioned. You said 300? Yeah. So when, when the daily deals industry boomed, there was about 300 people that ran into this. And this was every newspaper, uh, celebrities such as Peter Andre, ITV presenter had one. Uh, Barclays in the UK, they even launched a deal site for a period of time that we actually ended up supporting them with. Um, but they all moved away from it because back in the day, it was like the Wild West. Sellers were coming on. Goods were being promised to be delivered within certain timeframes that were never arriving with customers. A lot of people got their fingers burnt. So we learned the hard way. And we've managed to be one of the lucky few to survive and weather that storm and actually grow through it as well. Do you see a parallel there to what's happening with marketplaces at the moment? Absolutely. I think far too many businesses are moving into that sphere of marketplaces where they they don't necessarily have the control they used to as a retailer. When you're using someone else, I I know you mentioned this a lot, working on 15% margins, you're not working on traditional 30, 40, 50%. It's not just that, but someone else is doing your fulfillment. Someone else is doing your aftercare. Someone else is supporting the warranty, whatever else it might be. But the user associates that with your brand not with the seller. So if they have a bad experience, that's going to impact you as a retailer, not just the seller that's on your marketplace portion of your your site. And I do think we're going to see something similar, in my opinion. I think we've consolidated now from 300 to around about five in the UK. I think you're going to continue to see this boom for a little bit of time in marketplaces. But personally, I don't think it's going to be sustainable for a lot of those businesses. So what steps... I appreciate we're going a little bit away from your area of expertise here now, but I'm I'm curious because you've seen this happen in the daily deals space. We're now in a we're now in a situation with marketplaces where every Tom, Dick, and Harry that has a, any sort of measurable traffic or any sort of sizable traffic is opening the doors to retailers because it's a good way to get access to a huge amount of inventory without having to take the risk of sourcing, buying, storing, shipping that product. Do you see any options? for a retailer that's looking at selling on those marketplaces to balance 
taking up, taking advantage of that opportunity, i.e. being on as many of those marketplaces as possible and selling where those buyers are, maybe discovering new buyers through these connected marketplaces, be it Decathlon, B&Q, H&M, Debenhams, whoever it's going to be, without running the risk of getting themselves into a position where they're too reliant on that revenue. Because let's face it, Amazon is probably not going to go anywhere one day to the next. Mm -hmm. But you see it with, for example, mm-hmm. Tesco a few years ago, a number of retailers that did become successful and did become reliant on Tesco. It was a sizable portion of their income. When the Tesco marketplace closed down, that hit them hard. And we've seen the same thing in Germany recently with MyToys and Zalando. What happens if a retailer is, or how can a retailer protect themselves against being in a position where they're selling on all of these marketplaces and then suddenly they will disappear again? We had the guys from Velocity on here recently that I think handled part of this very, very well. And they were speaking about Play.com, right? And that's a, that's a great example of so many sellers were reliant on Play. So many sellers that I know were reliant on Tesco's. And unfortunately, when they went kaput, a lot of them sellers had huge revenue holes to fill. They still had a lot of people's mortgages to pay, right? And then they had to kind of jump around very, very quickly and go, okay, how do we do this? Do we get on Amazon? Do we get onto another marketplace? It's exactly the same as what we've seen in daily deals. The amount of merchants that we've had call us over time and say, oh, you know, N crowds collapsed, KGBs disappeared, whoever else it might be. This company's gone and they owe me a lot of money at the moment. I'm really going to struggle to get through this. I need to increase my exposure and my sales with your marketplaces. I don't see that changing. I think there always will be people that over-rely on things. But if I was a retailer at the moment, I would be looking at this marketplace and my eyes would just be seeing pound coins everywhere. There is a huge amount of opportunity and there's never been more technology than now to make the life of the retailer easier in terms of selling on more marketplaces, handling the fulfillment, the customer services, everything that comes along with it, I would be personally diversifying to as many as I can and trying to have my eggs in all of the baskets available to me rather than putting them into any single one. And one of the things that I don't know if it's ever been mentioned on here before as well is, of course, building up those direct sales as well as on marketplaces. You know, when you sell on a marketplace, that marketplace takes the data, they take the sale, they take absolutely everything. You sell on your own platform, you're building all of that up as well. So your reliance on those marketplaces and you know isn't so high. For me, I'd be trying to achieve mm. it all. Make hay while the sun shines. Get on as many of those marketplaces yeah. as possible, and then on the off chance that two of them disappear, you've got enough revenue coming in from all the rest that you might notice the hit, but it's not going to end you. Absolutely. You know, a colleague of mine this morning was mentioning about Americanus over in in Brazil and that they're doing quite good business over there. So I I had a little look and it's like, wow, they've got huge debt problems at the moment. They're refinancing. They're potentially going to go out of business. And that can happen to anyone. And from my understanding, albeit very basic, they're one of the biggest out there. Um, None of us, I don't think, are immune to the external factors that are happening at the moment. I mean, we had it very recently. I'm not, to be honest, I don't know what the latest state is on it, but with Debenhams was a prime example in the UK and Galleria here in Germany is another huge name, which has been on the high street for as long as anyone's been alive and and longer. And they struggled. They ended up merging with their closest rival. It was sort of like the equivalent of Debenhams and House of Fraser getting together. Then they opened a marketplace and now three years later, they, they're gone. You know, they ended up losing all of their high street stores. They couldn't pay the rent anymore. And they ended up having to, yeah, as I said, merge with their main competitor. It's a changing market. And 
it's hard to stay on top of it. Yeah, I think getting diversified and selling in as many marketplaces as possible. And, and as you said, your own D2C store, which is also another challenge specifically for more traditional brands who use marketplaces often as the first step in D2C. It's sometimes the very first time they've ever sold direct consumer is through marketplaces. They've traditionally relied on wholesalers and, and retailers. But that then obviously comes back to where you guys can help because you deal with the brands directly as well, right? So you... How does, how does that work? What does that look like? So we, we deal with brands directly. We deal with resellers. We deal with distributors. We deal with importers. You name it, they can kind of come and sell on our platforms. As long as they can show a genuine discount to our users, then it's something that we're interested in showing to them. I just want to add as well, in terms of diversification, I think it's really important in today's world, not just, just diversify across the marketplaces you sell on, but the markets themselves as well. You know, if you're selling just in the UK at the moment, you're ignoring a huge opportunity to move cross-border. And look, we're only UK and Ireland, but I'm well aware of the fact that even as a marketplace ourselves, we're missing a big opportunity by not looking into what we could be doing in France, Germany, and further and beyond. Um, so I think retailers themselves need to be looking at all of those opportunities and going, I need to start spreading myself out there. Some people are doing it very right, and for others... It's just an opportunity waiting for me to, to be discovered. Mm. So what does it look like on an operational perspective? I'm a brand, I'm listening to this and going, oh, you know what? Yeah, I've got some end of line out, outlet stock or maybe I've just got some products that I can sell a bit cheaper. What, what happens? How do I access these 32 million customers? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, as I mentioned, we're a curated marketplace and we're still in this world of technology and AI and things. We're still about people, we're still about relationships and we're still about understanding and listening. So the first thing that any brand goes through with us is an onboarding process. They speak to one of our sales reps. Our sales reps goes through absolutely all of how we work. Our accounts come on. They give us a price that they need a return of. Our sales rep review the market rate, look at their sales prices and say, okay, great, that discount exists. And the level of commission that we can make on the deal is, is acceptable for us. If not, and it's not going to work, they're quite honest and turn around and say, look, there's just not enough in this. You've got to reprice in order to make this work. Once everyone's happy, we do the typical kind of, you know, contracts and things that need going in place where you'll take the SKU numbers, the full item descriptions, any barcoding or anything else that needs to be going in to translate from our systems to the, the seller's system. And of course, the important pricing and stock caps and things like that. Once we go online, customers comes on, they see the item, they buy it on our platform, they enter their postage information, we take the postage amount and everything. And then that order is then translated to our partner our partnership things out and then they simply invoice us back in for the items that they've shipped out with with tracking so it's a really really simple and easy to use system that anyone can use so how many products would a typical brand offer for sale on these discounts is there, is there like a standard quota if they've got a, a total catalog of say a thousand products would they send you all thousand or is it 10 that they're going to focus on or yeah, I mean, typically no brand's going to want to come onto a discount platform and discount absolutely everything that they have. Typically, they're looking to do end-of-life, refurbished and reboxed goods. Are fantastic. Not only is there kind of a much larger benefit to the, the world and the planet that we all live in by using refurbed electronics and things like that, uh, but it also allows the user to get a fantastic deal, to be honest. Um, so... Outside of those brand new goods, you probably see a brand coming to us and maybe offering two, three items at a time, unless things are going end of line or they're refurbished. Um, you do have resellers that, of course, come on and they've got a lot more margin to play with. So you might have a reseller sell 50 to 100 items. 
But more than that, if a brand's coming to us and saying, look, I want to list a thousand items, that's probably not right for us because it's very challenging for us to look at a thousand items and go, okay, look, we can, we can get these on the platform. That's not a problem. But making sales on them is going to be a challenge since we are very much, we hang our hat on being bloody good at it, but everything we do is push marketing. So we're prolific emailers. We're good at social media. We're good at PPC, everything else that comes along with it. But we are about shouting to the right user in their face, this is a product that we think we're going to like. So, you know, Jesse, going back to the example earlier, with the fluffy socks because you've bought Uggs with us before and you're that certain profile. If I've got 10,000 different pairs of fluffy socks and then 10,000 different types of boots and things, the likelihood of you stumbling across them on my platform are pretty slim because you're not actively looking for them. But because I understand that about you as a user and I think this is a great price for this user, putting that in a push notification or an email and getting your attention, that's where we're going to have our success. And we've carved this really nice corner of the market out for ourselves along with you know our competitors that people like Amazon aren't really paying attention to. I've been an Amazon customer for longer than I care to kind of remember. But I can't remember the last time I received an email campaign from them that made me really think, wow, I'm going to buy something from this now. I don't think that's ever happened. True. Yeah, fair point. Not Same here. You mentioned that there's also a, a digital agency element to NetRev. So you've got a lot of data and it sounds like you really know what to do with it. I'm a brand and I've got a thousand products for sale and I'm going to give you 10 of them to market to your audience through your various daily deals sites or marketplaces, however we want to name them. Can you help me to leverage that 32 million user database in other ways? Can, can I send those leads to my website? Absolutely. So you know what, when I first started out in this life and got involved as kind of employee number eight at Mighty Deals, everything I learned and everything I knew, I was never going to tell anyone because that's how I make money. And that's, you know, keep my secrets very close guarded to my chest. These days, I'm longer in the tooth, I suppose, and realize that, do you know what, if I know something, I'm going to tell anyone that's going to listen to it. If I can help educate and really care for people, that is a little bit self-serving because it creates stickiness. And I might not earn any money out of it and our agency might not get nothing out of it right now. But if we can give someone some free advice that works for them, guess what? They come back and eventually we start making money together. So it might be that people come to us as, a, as an agency and they go, look, Ben, I've got these crystal glasses that are worth a thousand pounds each and I'm willing to cut them down to 900 pounds. That's not right for my marketplaces. And I'll be very explicitly clear about that. My agency, on the other hand, may be able to help drive traffic directly into them, may be able to help with lead acquisition, brand exposure, whatever else is they might be looking for. If not, yet again, don't use me right now. Use this person over here that I know. They'll be able to help you achieve your goal. A year later, they might come back saying, actually, do you know what? I just need to do a stock clearance on these now. And then bingo, we may be able to help. So to take advantage of that offer to put that advice out there, you've, you're running this agency, you've got this experience here. For a brand that is looking at D2C by their own website now, not marketplaces, most brands obviously don't have a database of 32 million users. Let's say they're lucky to have 10% of that. What what are your tips? What what can they do to really leverage that data that they do have? What What tools should they be using? What information should they be looking for? What metrics should they be looking for? How can they figure out which of their buyers that are in their database are the ones that are going to buy that pair of fluffy socks? So I think, I think my first tip in kind of, you know, acquiring data and, and looking at marketing strategies and things is speak to industry peers. Most people are actually willing to give you information and, and you know, like freely things like this, talking to each other openly. Um, 
there's a lot of it out there, not just in this kind of podcast. I think this is relatively unique. But in terms of you reach out to actually an industry competitor, they will probably sit down with you and talk to you about things. I remember when GDPR came out in the UK, I met with pretty much all of our competitors at the time to have an open discussion around how are you dealing with things and then tell them very openly how we're dealing with things because we're all facing the same kind of problems. Um, And I think that would be a very similar kind of story of people like sharing their successes. So if you as a new startup are struggling to kind of get data strategies and understand how maybe you should win more, people will actually tell you if you ask. But if you don't ask, you don't get it. Number two, I think, is looking at your your users and, and trying to profile them as much as you can. So trying to understand, and you can do this for, there's lots of free agencies out there, uh, Ginger Black, Greenstone in the UK are both fantastic, and they do really good kind of data profiling reports on people uh, where they'll cross-reference your data with the data of, I think one of them has 41 million, the other one has about 60 million records. And they then spit back things in terms of, you know, your user's gender and things like that. It's all um, no PPI in there and things. So you can't tell it anything about the individual users, but it gives you an overview of what your company and what your buyers and maybe your non-buyers might look like. And then you can engage with agencies like myself to go, look, I know who my customer is. How do I find more of them? And just be honest with the agencies you engage with. You know, we work with brands that are doing things on a cost per sale. We work with brands that are coming in with huge kind of six-figure budgets and, and asking us to help build brand and build reach, but not the same strategies, right, for absolutely everyone. Everyone's got to walk their own path. Thank you. That's really, it's, it's, it's general information, but it's very helpful to give people an idea of where to of which direction to go in so to bring that back to marketplaces where does this fit into a typical marketplace strategy because many brands will look at marketplaces as the place to go to offload their out of line or end, end of se- end of line or out of season stock or refurbished they're selling on back market or amazon refurbed or whatever it might be and that was the example coming back to that eddie it was eddie in the most recent episode said uh ebay you can't out Amazon, Amazon, but back market have out eBayed eBay with the mm-hmm. refurbished and uh, secondhand goods. Where does a marketplace active brand fit your businesses into their overall strategy? If you're a massive reseller or brand and you've got huge depth of SKU lines, and we work with a number of the people that have been on your show before, then they rotate those deals and they kind of kind of have an evergreen sales income with us, which is great because as a, one deal comes off discount, another one goes onto it. So they can kind of have a nice constant live stream with us and that can work really well. And I know Shah was on here recently talking around about how he's worked very well with Groupon Welch for ourselves at Go Groupie and Mighty Deals. Um, and that works incredibly well with them. We have other brands, however, that use us more for the peaks and troughs. So come Christmas time, for an example, they may use us because they've got too much of a certain type of fragrance or they want to acquire, they're slightly below their sales quotas, so they've got to hit a few more. So they use us to very strategically align with their goals. What I would say is when you interact with a discount marketplace like ourselves is just uploading a load of products is not going to do you any good. Uploading those products and getting exposure will, however, do you good. It's making sure that the deals that you're offering are right, that are going to get in emails, they're going to get in the pushes and things. Because if you just want to upload a 1,000 products, you're better going to Amazon. But Amazon's not 
going to pick up the fact that all of a sudden you've got a 60% off item. A discount marketplace will. And the discount marketplace, you can pick up the phone. You can talk to that sales agent. That sales agent has then got a direct line to the marketing team. That marketing team are making sure it's number one in an email that's going to be seen by 2 million users. It's getting all of this exposure for free that's built into the commission rates and things of the platform that you wouldn't necessarily get on a typical marketplace. On a typical marketplace to get that exposure, you've got to go in, you've got to boost it, you've got to increase your PPC. But then realistically, you've still got to hope that people are searching for that term in order for your PPC and things to activate in the first place. So what would you say to a brand who, because this is something we face with brands and marketplaces in general, it's going to cheapen my brand. I don't want my products showing up next to those from my competitor or with a 60% discount. How do, how do we overcome that objection? Or is that an objection? Yeah, it absolutely is. And it's certainly not a strategy that I don't think works for everyone out there, although it could. It's about being selective and using it as it it was intended when it was first invented. It is a limited time discount platform. And if any brand was to come out there and offer an incredible discount for a limited period of time, in my experience, it doesn't cheapen the brand at all. I'm, I'm not sure if you saw Samsung's latest phone campaign. Uh, we work with them on this on the agency side rather than our, our discount marketplace side. But any phone you traded in at all, you would get £600 off the brand new Samsung S23. £600? £600, absolutely. Any phone? Any phone. Um, that's a huge incentive, right? Now, Samsung are a brand that do their research and they will not be cheapening their brand. They know that there is a finite window to run it. And I think it was run for only two weeks. But the sales that that captured during that time, the press, the coverage and things and the brand building it got, probably invaluable. No wonder Google's shitting itself about Samsung moving over to Bing. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) If they're offering 600 quid for a free, off the next phone, that's... Yeah. Uh, but discount marketplaces are, are no different from brand strategies that they've had for, you know, since the dawn of man. You look at any of the tier one brands out there, they all offer discounts. They all offer outlets. There's always something, but they're, they're in control of it. And I think that's the, the thing. And it was definitely mentioned on here before as well about um, how brands can come onto the marketplace platforms and they can control the voice rather than someone else controlling it. The same can be said, I think, for the discount marketplaces. There's lots of resellers out there that have access to branded stock. And I don't necessarily think that many of the brands themselves have been looking at the discount marketplaces as a legitimate place to sell. But it gives them that level of control that I don't think they currently have. It's a really a really valid point. And so you, you mentioned that you're not active in Europe yet. I use the word yet optimistically. <laughs> Is hoping that we tenfold that 32 million and you can get some German and French and Italian buyers on there as well. But until then, who are some of your competitors that European-based brands or brands looking to maybe build their brand through discounts in Europe could utilize to, to have a similar effect? In terms of our competitors at the moment that are European, I mean, you've mentioned several kind of German daily deals and things and discount marketplaces during this time. Um, Groupon that you've mentioned before, are obviously right throughout Europe, but they've scaled back in certain markets, but they're certainly present in, in many more. There's tons and tons of daily deals and discount marketplaces that still exist in Europe. Europe's in a lot of consolidation during that time as well. And I think you'll continue to see that. And I, I think this marketplace expansion and consolidation that we'll see as well won't be 
localized to the UK, it'll be almost global. But in terms of particular, I don't think we're looking at anyone envious that we're really watching and how to grow at the moment because we've always carved up our own path in terms of how we've grown and how we've grown our marketplaces via acquisition. So that consolidation period for us has always been a period of opportunity. As other marketplaces or daily deal companies have maybe begun to falter, that is an opportunity for us to run them under one technology that we understand, one customer services team that, you know, is a well-oiled machine, one sales team that just completely gets it. And I think for us, as we look into Europe and further afield, that strategy will continue to be what we follow. And so now the reverse, if a brand from, say, the USA or from Europe or anywhere else outside of the UK is looking at marketplaces in the UK as a toe-in-the-water approach for an expansion to test out the British market, would you is your marketplace an option for them, or does the discount element make that hard when it become when you factor in all of the other costs involved with cross-border? I think actually our offering is incredibly advantageous to them uh, in comparison to maybe some of the more traditional marketing marketplaces. Sorry, so if you look at a, a traditional marketplace as a new entry. You put your product on there, you're relying still on someone's coming to search for it. As a discount marketplace, you're working very differently. You're using email, push, social, whatever else it might be to shout, here is a new exciting product that we want to surprise and delight you for. So that kind of fits our mission statement perfectly mm. as a new entry. And they're going to maybe get exposure and things as long as the discount and the offering is strong enough that they wouldn't maybe necessarily get as a traditional marketplace because as a new entry, no one's looking for it. So from an operational perspective, what are the nuts and bolts that go into this? Are there any requirements from your end in terms of logistics timeframes? Do you have like specific, who's the seller of record? What's the return rate like? So we are a typical marketplace. You know, we are not the seller of record. Every other person on the platform is. We don't import anything. We don't compete with our sellers anything like that. We really are just a pure play marketplace. In terms of operations, we went through the onboarding process earlier, but it's really nice and simple. It's simple kind of SKU numbers, uh, barcode numbers, uh, item details, caps, things like that. We can then API and connect into our seller systems so they can receive their orders nice in real time. Commercials are very straightforward. They give our team a price. Our team add our commission and that varies category to category and to be honest i'm a little bit far removed from it these days but our sales team would be able to give anyone that wants to contact us further rundown on kind of how that works returns and things are handled by our sellers directly not by ourselves so we are first port of call as a marketplace and normally final port of call as well for any customer services issues so say for example a customer has returned something but they're not hearing back from sellers and that may be something as simple as emails are falling into spam traps or something like that then we're always there to support the customer and to of course support the seller as well because there are times where the customer becomes despondent to the merchant so we're always there holding everyone's hand and making sure things work do you know off the top of your head what the return rate is roughly do you know i really wouldn't like to take a guess at it because i know it varies hugely electronics for an example will be high than home items but it would be would it be safe to say that it's sort of there's no special rate that is more or less because it's a discount what i'm thinking is more from the discount perspective obviously there's going to be category specific fashion more than electronics perhaps but no i think i think i think overall our our kind of return and refund rate is below five percent Ah, okay that's 
So that's pretty good. So it's it's aggressively low, and we've we've been really really conscious of that over the years. That's really cool to hear because yeah, I was wondering. That's that's obviously the the bit that can be a surprise when you're evaluating a new channel. I was talking to someone the other day who sells on Zalando, and I think he gets like a forty percent return rate. Which now obviously you don't pay commission on those returns, but just the costs involved with that. The time involved with managing that, even though Zalando is his third best channel, it's not economically viable for him to sell there because of that return rate. And that's something that you don't know until you're already selling there, really. And I think in general with daily deals, I've always looked at it as, and I, please don't take this the wrong way, I'm, I'm certainly not encouraging anyone to sell subpar goods. But when you have a huge discount on something, your expectations maybe aren't as high as when you pay full price. So if, for example, I bought an iPhone and I saved a thousand pounds on it, but I waited two days, I'm not going to be too upset about things. If I paid that thousand pounds more, guess what? I want it now. And I think that's how daily deals has, has kind of works. We have the kind of set standard terms and conditions and our users do expect things quickly. I think, unfortunately, Amazon's done that to the whole world. Um, our expectations have changed very, very quickly over time. But in, in general, it is a little bit longer than what you'd expect from Amazon. And items, you know, vary from being brand new to refurbished. But, and, but do you have any requirements for the sellers directly in terms of how quickly they have to get the item out of the door or...? Yet again, it will vary from account to account because we will. There's some items that will run that are maybe custom made, like beds and sofas and things like that, that you'd anticipate obviously taking a little bit longer yep. to arrive. Um, we also have done historically pre order items and things. So large rattan sets, the big green barbecues, things like that. Um, so it will, it will vary a little bit. What happens if a seller? doesn't meet those let's say that you've agreed with a seller two day two days after the order's in it should be marked as shipped say so yeah, standard I- category do you have any kind of i'm comparing this now with like amazon's uh, order defect rate metrics that you know you hit a certain percentage that's it you're suspended and then you get four weeks to try and appeal it and then you're offline battling seller support that's yeah, the absolutely. that's the measuring stick here but maybe tell me a little bit about how you guys handle that situation it- it, it's a similar thing. And I think, you know, one of the things about all of us is we learn from our competitors and we learn from each other, right? So as the marketplaces in general get stricter, we all get stricter. Mm-hmm. And that certainly happened with us over time. When we first started out, it was very much everything was on the back of a napkin. Um, you know, you just learn as you were, as you were doing because we started from, from our founder's bedroom. Um, and, you know, now we're, we're kind of three offices around the world growing kind of continuously, which is great. But everything has had to level up with that and will continue to level up. Um, and it's like, I remember back in the day, it would be one of our sales execs on the phone going, where are things? You know, How can we sort this out? Whereas we now have a system that flags things based on percentages. So as soon as you hit kind of 2%, it hits one alert. That then goes out to an account manager that will then reach out and talk to the account. Is there a problem? Has there been an IT issue? So on and so forth. Um, and then as that continuously goes up, if it does over a certain time frame, that then goes to certain other management or it will trigger holding of payment. It may trigger deals being removed from site, deals not getting exposed anymore. So we stop the sales before the merchant is removed. Um, and then, of course, if that continues to go, and the final straw is banning and looking at recovering of any due funds to the customers. Mm-hmm. So you- um, but we have the typical penalizations as well. So the fines and things that you would anticipate. Um, so, you know, the really way that we look at it is, is almost if you hurt our customers, we pass that pain on. Which 
again, coming back to the idea of protecting your brand is very important for you guys to do. You've earned those 32 million email addresses and (laughs) you're well within your rights to want to protect them. That obviously does sound like you work with the partner a lot more. It sounds like it's not just up oh, 2%, ban them, send the lawyers after them. It's a, It sounds more like someone there is picking up the phone every five minutes until they answer and tell you what's going on. And <laughs> uh, No, and that, that is the way it is. So, And that is one of the fundamental differences between us and a traditional marketplace is that we are, because of the curation model of, of the deals themselves in the first place, that every single deal has had someone's touch on it. So we have that relationship with the sellers on our platforms, first and foremost, that they're expecting that phone call, not because of poor customer services, but they're expecting that phone call to update them on maybe how a content piece is performing or looking for the next piece of content or predicting what we might want to get in at Christmas together, whatever it might be. So when we pick up the phone and we have these issues, they're anticipating that. They're they're ready to kind of deal with it. Um, And yes, the formalities can happen afterwards. And you will, of course, always get people that go rogue and disappear or people that just unfortunately drop the ball. You know, they're, they're not paying attention. Maybe they're too thinly stretched at the moment. And, you know, look, if I have to go around their house and knock on the door, I will. From an operational standpoint, is there a, if I'm now saying, okay, I'm going to offer 60% discount on these products and uh, we can sell 500 of them because I've got 500 products left in my warehouse that I want to clear out. Can I also sell those 500 products on Amazon and then you only get 484 of them? Yes and no. So we work in a rim fencing format. So when you submit a a product line to us, we ring fence X amount with you for that agreed period of time. So if you've got 500 products, one of our reps would likely tell, ask you, where are you selling this at the moment? What is your kind of strategy and plan? Ideally, we'd of course like the chance to try and sell through all of them in a very quick period of time. But if for whatever reason we get that wrong and you pick up the phone to the sales rep and say, you know, I want to now pull a hundred out. Absolutely no problem at all. All we ask for is 24 hours notice to make sure that we haven't got it into an email campaign, paid social, whatever else it might be, because we don't want to disappoint our customers. But we're also not daft and you know aware that people should be diversifying, as I said earlier, and should be selling everywhere. So if you are actively selling on other platforms as well, out of that 500, hey, I might only want 50. And then when we start selling through that 50, our rep is banging on your door again, asking you to increase that amount with us because it's going really well. And as you buy confidence into it, you may then release them full 500 to us. So talking about brand building, because we've angled a lot of this around selling discounted products. Now they're thinking, you know, how, how can I get 60% off a Rolex or maybe not a Rolex, but <laughs> the next pair of hog boots because my dog ate these ones. How can I imagine this from a case of brand building? I'm a German brand I've never sold in the UK before. Maybe someone stumbled across an Instagram post once, but other than that, I don't have a market there. No one knows who I am. Can I use this to build my brand there? And and if so, how or should I? Absolutely. So I'm going to tell you about a case study that we did. Oh, I reckon it must have been about eight years ago. So Mighty Deals, we worked with Shell, the petrol station. And they came to us and we went to them with the idea of collaborating to create loyalty for them. So what we did is run a campaign that £10 for the customer to spend would get you £20 of fuel. 
And that was on a loyalty card. So that went out physically through your door that you then added to your wallet. And of course, the idea for Shell being is that every customer that went in would not just put £20 in their car. They're then putting another £10, £20 or wherever else in. They're then collecting reward points on that card for every pound that they spend. And they're going to buy a Mars bar and whatever else is it is when they're in the forecourt as well. And that campaign worked incredibly well. I think we sold around about sixty to 80,000 vouchers for that in two weeks. And it worked incredibly well. And but the amount of impressions and things that saw that was on national TV, it was in all the papers and things, radio, it performed incredibly well. I think if you YouTube it, the, the advert's still up there. <laughs> Not sure it's aged that well, but uh, it, still, it still exists. And I think any brands, no one can be Shell, it's Shell, but... That's the the difference between deal sites and marketplaces is that they are going to push you. You're not just going to sit there because there is a cost of deal production to us because we don't just simply mass upload products. You know, you don't just upload your image and upload your text and things because we're curating that. There is a cost of production to us for every every piece of content. So we're not going to put content on the platform that we don't think has an opportunity to sell. And if we don't think it's got an opportunity to sell, we're going to tell you that and we're going to tell you how we think we can make it sell. So as a new brand entering the market, you've got an opportunity to get in front of people not just wait to be discovered. So are there hidden or are there, are there an op- is there an opportunity to spend more to sell more? Or Frugo, for example, have this commission dial and, you, and many other marketplaces too, where you, know, you may take a standard commission for this category is 15%, but you can bump it up to 18% and they'll put the difference on, or you know, they'll, they'll then put maybe three quarters of that difference onto search advertising, which if you've got the margin is a good way to do it. Is there... An option for for brands to contribute towards those costs that they can say, hey, you know what, we're still happy to pass on a fifty five percent discount or a six percent dis- discount to the end buyer, mm-hmm. but we're also happy to put an extra couple of percent to help you guys really promote it above and beyond that. Yes and no. So we're not yet again because the curation of the marketplace and things, and and we're not so reliant on search, and it's more about push. There's not this kind of standard out of the box. I want to boost my post and pay for my, my more clicks and things. It's something that we looked at for a while and something that we probably will look at again in the future. But right now, what we do is more bespoke. So a partner may come to us and they may say, "Look, you know, I've got um, I've got Christmas crackers at the moment, and it's it's November, and I really want to get them exposed more places." Um, so we are always buying media for ourselves anyway. We have three guys here at the moment that do that every single day of the week do a really great job. And that's kind of how our agency came about in the first place because we realized we know some bloody good places to buy media. Why don't we kind of buy this for the other people as well? Um, and so with that, now we now look at our, our merchants and go, okay, well, where, where are the right audiences? And can we do some co-marketing spend here? Can we go away and activate on the, the sun, for an example, that we work closely with? Or can we do some extra Facebook campaigns? Can we work with some influencers, whatever it might be? But it's always bespoke partner to partner and deal to deal. So the, I think the resource cost here is, is possibly quite a lot higher than what you see at like a lot of other marketplaces. Um, but... And I, I don't mean that necessarily for the seller. I mean more for us. But the volumes that we work at are two different things. We don't want an item coming on and selling 10. We want an item to come on and sell 100,000, 10,000, whatever it might be. 
you're really focusing more on marketing than marketplace. Correct. Correct. Absolutely. No, it is a, it is a marketplace because the item is always there. The customer can mm-hmm. come back and we see that. We see customers that come through and buy three, four, five things at once or they'll come back through time and time again. It's not like the deal place of old where once they've bought that deal in that seven days, there's nothing else there for seven days. Yeah. Um, but it is about marketing that content. It's not about just leaving it there to flail. Fantastic. It sounds like a really good opportunity for as long when the margin is there i can imagine it being a really good option to to promote brands i mean sharp from rex brown mentioned it among the the many marketplaces that he helps his brands sell in one of the first episodes of of marketplace jungle if tresemme and links are on there and you mentioned shell then i'm pretty sure most other brands can can make it work somehow ben before we wrap up is there anything else that you'd like to say to our audience anything any more information any other tips or advice you'd like to share no not not really i think more just going back to my original point of diversifying just because it's a discount marketplace doesn't mean it's maybe not right for you and it's the same as looking at tv print whatever else it might be keep changing what you're doing keep experimenting measuring and learning it's a really good tip. That, that makes me that makes me think in terms of diversifying channels. I'm just thinking about diversifying products. And to the question of will this channel cheapen my brand? The question that that you might want to ask yourself is what is your brand perspective from the consumers on that channel? We did a project recently with Moleskin products. Um, mm-hmm. The the really nice notebooks. Oh yes, I know the ones. The, you're the really fancy notebook company. Um, yes, yes, yes. Very nice. Very nice notebooks. Turns out they also sell laptop bags and accessories and other, and like all sorts of bags, backpacks, and all sorts of other random bits that I guess are loosely associated with notebooks. But that for me was a moment where I was like, hang on a second. Okay, maybe I don't want to discount the notebooks because that's my brand. But if you've got a 250 euro laptop bag that has the brand name that you associate with quality but isn't specifically your main product for which you are associated with, then that's suddenly a product that you can discount without affecting the overall image would be my perspective on it. And what happens when you release the next version or you want to build brand awareness for a very limited time? Would exposing that brand for two days to discount do you damage? Not in my opinion. Well, particularly with calendars as well, with those like notebook calendar, you know, the handheld analog diaries handheld. God, as if it's like a, (laughs) I don't know. Are we, are we in black and white? I think we're we're outing ourselves as millennials. Um, (laughs) But the, I'm, I'm just thinking, right, because, you, you know, you get to November 2023 and you've still got a bunch of 2023 diaries sitting in stock gathering dust. You can still discount those and flog them as notebooks. Someone somewhere is going to happily buy a good quality notebook. They don't care if it's got the dates from last year in it or, you know, they just want to have a, a page somewhere nice they can write the shopping list or their own diary or whatever. That's right. And it doesn't necessarily even just have to be about discount, right? You can do added value. So every notebook comes with a free pen, for an example. So it's it's something that's non-standard. It's something that's exclusive. It's something that's still enticing to the customer. It's about having something where the user feels like they've got that discount in their savings. Do you ever bring multiple brands together on the same deal? We haven't. It's always been an interesting concept, but it's not something that we've really managed to conquer yet. I can certainly see the merit of it, but no, unfortunately not yet. I could imagine that working really well. Bring two, you know, you've just bought a skipping rope from that brand. Do you want to get a yoga mat from this brand too? 
Well, hundred percent, and you see it, a lot of the big press these days in kind of the affiliate marketing world and things is gift with purchase and things like this. You know, so you, you buy this, and then at the checkout you can add a free hair lotion or whatever else it might be. And- shaker. It's always a protein shaker, <laughs> <laughs> but we need them. <laughs> yeah, definitely, and definitely five thousand all plastic, and preferably like that really cheap plastic, so that it just stinks when it's left in your gym bag. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right ben let's call it a day honestly thank you so much for taking the time it's been really cool to hear about this nuanced corner of our industry because it's not one that i've given enough time or space but it's one i'm definitely going to start talking to people about because i think it's it's definitely an opportunity to as you say access about half the uh, population of the uk so definitely not a small market share not at all not at all jesse it's been a pleasure thank you so much for having me really appreciate it And yeah, hopefully we'll get to speak in very, very soon. Thanks so much for taking the time out of your day to listen into this episode of Marketplace Jungle. I hope you also got some really valuable insights into the world of daily deals sites and how they can be used strategically to expand your brand's reach. I personally found it really interesting to explore this otherwise untouched part of the marketplace world. And I'd love to hear any feedback on this from you. If you've sold on a daily deals site or if you've bought Ugg boots on a daily deals site like me, do leave a comment or get in touch with me directly to let me know how it went for you. In the meantime, thanks for joining. I'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.